Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It's hard to get the mic back from Gabe sometimes. <laughs> Where's Mrs. Adams? Anna, why don't you come read for us? We're going to have a reading from John chapter 20 this morning. Maybe we could put it up on the screen. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She also came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at it, looked in at the stripes of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had risen from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside. She stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic. Rabboni, which means teacher, I'm not sure. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he said these things to her. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your life. Thank you that you're alive, God, today. Thank you that it changes everything. Everything. We come this morning to your word. We come this morning in this moment to remember, to celebrate, but to respond again afresh, like for the first time, to the goodness of the cross and the goodness of your resurrection and the goodness of your grace that keeps being poured out this morning. Have all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, mighty God. Amen. Amen. So it is Easter Sunday. 
Resurrection Sunday. I would like to show you my present for Resurrection Sunday. I don't know if you guys knew. Do you know you get presents? You don't, you don't do that here in Milton? Oh. Oh. But I got a present for Resurrection Sunday. Maybe you can put up, um, that is glad wrap all the way around my car. And, um, it's amazing. I saw it and, and, uh, I just prayed, Lord, reveal. And I feel like He will when I get the camera footage when I get home from my neighbor's camera, which covers my driveway. And then the Lord will have his justice. I don't even have to. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. Just saying, maybe some are here, maybe they're not. Just saying. Uh, in the words of Liam Neeson, I have a certain set of skills. I will find you, and I will make you babysit my kids. And um, that's what we do. It's how it works, yeah. And... Uh, Always part of it. And uh, God's been really kind. We've had an amazing um, Friday, um, three services, God's life. God's life in Danoon yesterday as a team went to minister, really kind. And God's salvation pouring out. He's, he's really good. He's really kind. He's really with us. He's pouring out His grace. I encountered some people along the way this week, though. One of them in my road, was just chatting to a lady who had some questions. And um, she asked my wife, please, I need to meet with your husband. So I'm like, okay. What have my kids done? It's kind of where I go to. So I went to meet with her and said, no, it's not about your kids. Said, her opening line was, I believe in science. So that's always a good conversation when they're talking to a pastor. It's like, a, now we're talking. It's good. Said, and we, we just started engaging. And then she made this kind of a compliment, kind of not, kind of not sure what it meant. She said, no, you look like a guy who could look after yourself. Why do you need this religion stuff? Where's the line? And I get it. I understand her question. I get it. And, and, on, and, and, I understand why people wrestle, and I think even as believers, there is a lifetime of wrestling some of these truths, which is actually helpful for us, and keeps us coming back to the grace of God, keeps us running back to His Word, and keeps us running back to the truth of what Jesus has done. And then I met with another a man and engaged with him yesterday, and he sent me a couple of messages. He's not very happy with me. He's not very happy with the church. And the end of his line was, I really don't get you lot, was the like signing off line. To which I responded, hashtag bless you. No, I didn't. That would have been cheeky. But, um, but I understand that you don't get me. And I said to this other lady, it's actually okay that you don't understand why we do what we do. It's actually even okay that you don't get the church. What's not okay is that you don't get Jesus. Because what I will tell you with everything inside of me is eternity is a long time. And on the other side of encountering this man and this king named Jesus, there is life for eternity. There is freedom forever. There is joy, there's grace, there's everything. It's okay that you don't get me, ma'am. It's not okay that you don't get him. Why? Because on this day that we celebrate, that we celebrate Jesus rising again, everything changed. For Mary, everything changed. I love it that he he reveals himself, this amazing lady, but he doesn't just go, you there, subordinate on earth, tell them that I'm here. He says to Mary, calls her name, Mary. When he raised Lazarus from the grave, he said, Lazarus, come out. Maybe he's calling your name today. Maybe you're one of the few that come to me, came to me. I met a man this morning and said to me, this is my church. I said, awesome. We've never met. He said, no, we probably haven't. I only come twice a year, Easter and Christmas. But this is my church. I said, that's great. Maybe this is your church and you're here for Easter. Wonderful. It's great that you are here. But I would encourage you that Jesus is calling your name. It's not church calling your name. It's not Jesus calls your name. And he keeps calling our names. And Easter 
God doesn't play by the rules. He breaks every rule. And he comes in. He does what no one expected after he'd been crucified, put behind a two-ton stone that had put into a groove and not to be moved. He breaks every rule by rising from the dead. And the power of death is broken, death is broken in an instant for all who would access that grace. But we believe that today everything changes. I want to tell you the truth. Charles Spurgeon said, I summarize my whole theology. A man who preached thousands of preachers, who ministered all over, he said, this is my theology. Jesus died for me. And Jesus died for you. And Jesus rose again for you. And he wants to reveal himself that whether you've made a decision to follow him or not, Jesus died for you. Whether you worship another God, another idol, yourself, Jesus died for you. Whether you are grumpy with him for something that happened this last year, Jesus died and he rose again for you. And that when we come to Easter, we are reminded that there are these journeys of the cross. And I had three points this morning at table view. I want to get to one point this morning. But my first point was that there were these nails on the cross that nailed Jesus to that cross. And the Bible does say, and we're reminded as Jesus says to us, that actually there, there, if you, anyone could come after me in Luke chapter 9, he must deny himself and take up his cross. There is a taking up a cross in Christianity. If you're here today and saying, I don't know what this is about, there's a temptation in a preacher to say it'll cost you nothing. Just say yes and everything will be changed. I'm going to tell you it's going to cost you everything because he wants everything of you. He wants to be Lord and Savior of your life. But he pulls us into the stories, and I'm as I'm processing the cross, as I'm taking time to read his word, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm amazed that Savior, Creator, would allow creation to hammer a nail through his flesh and bones into that wood. I'm fabergasted that broken, sinful man would have the opportunity to nail a nail through Jesus. And then I'm overwhelmed by the goodness of that act, that the nails that are justified to be nailed through my hands and my bones, nailed to a cross that I deserve, nailed into him so it never has to happen to me. And Thomas says, actually, I didn't see him when he came. I'll believe when I see the wounds inside of him, the nail marks in his hands and the nail marks through his feet. I will believe. Read his word. Allow himself to reveal himself to you. But don't allow the nails to hang around too long. I think they're still nails that are waiting to be hammered in. But we aren't meant for a cross. Deal with unforgiveness. I don't want to coach you through and give you a thousand reasons why you should. I just want to tell you one. Because on a cross hung a man who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in that split moment revealed us something of heaven and something of God, the Father, that changes everything. Telling you, unforgiveness is a nail that keeps even believers attached to a wooden tree and able to move. Allow this moment for unforgiveness to come. Actually, can, I'm not going to teach them. But I just want to pray right now, Father. Your word says, don't mess around here. Actually, it's a decision of obedience. And I pray where unforgiveness is a nail that is lingering and hindering and limiting the movements of your children today. I pray, God, allow forgiveness to flow. Reveal the Savior on a cross who forgave the ones who hammered nails through his hands and feet today. Thank you, God. Now, secondly, I'm overwhelmed as I look to the Eastern narrative. There's the nails, there's the cross, and then he's put in this 
behind a two-ton stone. It's a pretty big stone. But actually, men could move it. But to ensure that it couldn't be easily moved without a regiment of men, they would dig a groove, so a, a four to six foot tomb entrance. And then behind that, the stone that is rolled in place, about a foot thick of stone, and it's rolled into a groove. That's how they did it. That's how they did all of them. So no different for Jesus. The stone is rolled into a groove. One of the things that Easter does, it reminds us that actually, even as believers, and maybe you're here today and you haven't received the love of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, the enemy's good at making grooves in our lives. So that the stones that are rolled can be rolled into grooves that cannot be easily moved. And Easter reminds us that our Savior is not limited by a two-ton stone rolled and placed into a groove. Easter reminds us that our Savior comes out of that grave. Our Savior moves those stones. Easter reminds us that actually it's the power of the blood that speaks a better word. The power of the blood is not just for Friday. Oh, that's the privilege of the Friday preacher. Sorry, Gabe, I'm taking it. The power of the blood is for every day and every moment and every opportunity that the accuser, the enemy, decides to roll stones in your life and roll them into grooves that stay there for year after year and they keep believers behind the small spaces of too small a space. So the essence of salvation is a spacious place. There were a lot of S's in that sentence. I believe when Jesus rises up and that stone moves, it's a picture to every believer and it's a promise to every person who would access the blood of Jesus. Can I tell you what the blood of Jesus does? And only the blood of Jesus can do. Hebrews 10 verse 19, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. We gain access to the presence of a perfect and holy father. Why? Because of one thing. Not because of your good behavior, not because of your good business results, not because you were a good dad, none of those things. Because of who Jesus is and because of his blood that was poured. Please don't think of Jesus on the cross, all neat and tidy with a few whips and lashes across his back. It's far more gruesome than Hollywood could ever display. Far, far more gruesome. Isaiah 52 tells us that he was beyond recognition, that the stripes across his head, his back, his arms, made him completely unrecognizable and would have shattered everything. Why is that important? Because my brokenness and the grooves in my life need every one of those stripes. So do yours. Secondly, Ephesians 1 verse 17, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Easter is the most graphic demonstration of audacious generosity. Audacious generosity. People get excited and generosity comes out of Christmas because baby Jesus, little meek and mild Jesus was given. I'm telling you the cross is far more audacious in its generosity and the resurrection that rises above. Thirdly, consciences are cleansed. You need your conscience cleansed this morning, cleansed this morning, sir or ma'am. Hebrews says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He's, our consciences get seared. He wants to come in. We'll speak about that a little bit later. Number four, we are progressively cleansed from more and more sin. Jesus also suffered in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. You see, here's the perfection of the cross. Hebrews tells us that actually I am perfect being made holy. 
And there's an incredible liberality and freedom that comes into my life that when the Father looks at me, He doesn't see the arrogance and pride that wants to creep into our lives. He doesn't see the smallness. He doesn't want to see, He doesn't see the self-justification. Oh, my wife, my kids, their story. No, He looks at me and He sees the perfection of Jesus and He knows that I'm on a journey being made holy and He's okay with that. He chooses to see the perfection of Jesus. In you today too, if you will bow your knees in. If you'll receive him as Lord and Savior. We're able to conquer the accuser of the saints. Who never shuts up. Please don't think you can control the audio and the volume of the enemy in your life. He never shuts up. He's called the accuser of the saints. And it's only by the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony that we overcome that voice. Gabe spoke about it on Friday. But these young Australian men. That made a big mistake. Sit there and say, for the rest of my life, I will live with the implications of this decision. I'm going, actually, yeah. But there is grace in Jesus if you're accessing. And there's an opinion that matters far more than the opinions of man. And lastly, we're rescued out of a sinful way of life. I love the scripture, 1 Peter 1. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Actually, don't tell me my lineage and my line. I want to tell you the Bible says, actually, I'm ransomed from the futile ways of my forefathers. Apparently, my forefathers were Viking pirates. Hopefully, they were bigger than me. They would have been better at being Viking pirates. But apparently, but I'm not. I'm a son of the living God. He says, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish or spot. But here's why I get excited about Good Good Sunday or Easter Sunday. See, some get off their cross and the nails are dealt with and we are no longer exposed in shame. But the problem is we get used to the tomb. We get used to the tombs, our tombs of brokenness, our tombs of our pains, the tombs of our past. We get stuck in the tombs. We struggle to forgive ourselves for things we did 30 years ago. One of the challenges of the job that I have is that I've had to sit with some people late in their years and they confess and tell me things they did 57 years ago. I sat with a man recently before he passed away and his one big thing in life was 57 years before he'd fired a man and that man's life had never recovered from that action and he shouldn't have fired him. He used him as a scapegoat. 57 years eating him, 57 years keeping him in a, in, a, in, a, in a small space, in a tomb, 57 years, well, I can't really count for God because I've got this thing that I did 57 years ago and we don't get it. Easter is a message of come out of the tomb. It's not just, yay, Jesus, he came out of the tomb. It's, yay, Jesus, we can come out of the tombs. There are every opportunity in every one of our lives, almost every day, to get sucked into tombs. And many of you know my story, but when I was 19 years old, my parents, who I thought were always fine for finances, and we had holidays, and we had privilege, and we had a home, and we had schooling, and all that. When I was 19 years old, my dad phoned me and said, Mark, it's not good. I'm like, what's well, not good? No, the farm's not good. Actually, we're in trouble. Not two weeks later, or a week later, I can't remember our timing. Got a phone call. Actually, the sheriff's here. They've taken everything. They've taken the farm. We've got to move. We're leaving with the bags, a bag of clothes, and we're leaving. And actually, I got a phone call from a friend of mine's mother who went to an auction. And at the auction, there was a, a, a frame that my mother had done for me for my 18th or 19th birthday with all the pictures of me at the auction, sold at the auction. And just happened to be a friend of mine's mother who was there who bought it and said, I've got 
your birthday thing, you can have it back. But you know what, what got inside is I went into a tomb, a tomb that maybe God isn't the provider. A tomb that maybe I can't trust God with my future. A tomb that actually I'm going to have to work really, really hard so that I never have to face up to this situation that my parents got them in. And it became a tomb for me. And you know what? It looked really good to everyone else. Our tombs, we get really good at painting them very nice. We put indoor heating. We put air conditioners. We put lights. Those brass ones that fancy people do these days. We get really good at making our tombs look really good. And to other people, it looked like I had a great work ethic, that I was really good at my job, that I could get promoted in tough economic times. And, and I could, it looked really good to a lot of people. But I want to tell you what underpinned it all. I was just a fearful man in a tomb. God's got to get into our fears, and I'm so grateful that he did. Wouldn't be preaching the gospel ministering if he hadn't have done that for me. And he wants to do it for you. He's calling you out of the tomb. Jesus is not looking back, and the Father's not looking back. Say, Leon, I know what you did 30 years ago. Brad, I know what you did. I know what you thought. I know what you thought. I know what you thought, Gabe. No, he knows what he thought. But when the Father looks at me, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. And Easter and this day today. See, the resurrection of Jesus was evidenced by an empty tomb. I'm telling you, the evidence of Jesus in our lives is empty tombs behind us, all over the place. And the accuser will bring tomb after tomb and make it available for us to stay in tomb after tomb. But he's calling us out at this time. What do tombs look like? Well, what about secret sin? Even here, he's calling you out of the tomb. He's calling us out of the tomb. Can I present one to you that I think is probably the greatest tomb? Religion. On this day when people pop into church, and, and I, I, I don't know everyone here, so I can just go big. Gabe can. But it is the day when people come to church twice a year, and I love it. Thank you. Please come back. But religion says, if I tick some boxes, God will be okay with me, and I'm okay with God, and my insurance for heaven will be sorted one day. As long as I just make that payment twice a year. Religion's just a tomb that we paint up nicely. Religion doesn't lead to life. Religion doesn't lead to us walking free. And religion doesn't lead to the healing and the wholeness that the cross gives us access to. But I want to speak about two things that the Bible speaks expressly about. It was just guilt and shame <coughs> this morning. Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. I'm assuming that was for me. Thank you. That would have been awkward. <laughs> you know, I'm amazed this morning. Imagine the guilt and the shame Judas would have felt at that table. As Jesus served them and then took his robe off and washed every one of the disciples' feet, including Judas. That shame killed him. And yet the cross says it doesn't have to kill us. The resurrection of Jesus brings, and he says, actually, you've got to make this distinction. What is guilt and what is shame? Because there's an element of guilt and shame that actually leads us to repentance, to access the grace of God and to walk in freedom. That's all good. But when we don't go that journey, then guilt and shame becomes something that just keeps us in our tombs. 
So guilt is the knowledge that actually I've done something wrong and I'm stuck in this and I'm, I deal with the fact that I'm going to do something wrong. And most people deal with guilt and they can handle guilt. The bigger issue that holds us is shame. Even here today, I'm telling you, there's shame. And shame is this acknowledgement that I did something wrong, but I absorb it and it becomes part of my identity and it becomes who I am. I am the guy that did that. I am the guy that did that. I am the guy that did pornography. I am the guy that stole money. I am the guy that hurt that person. I am the guy that stole that person's virginity. I'm that guy. And the shame and the accuser shouting, all those things keep us in a tomb. And the problem is we encounter the grace of God. And instead of coming out of the tomb, guilt and shame keep shouting and shouting. And the cross is shouting, run free. And the resurrection is shouting, live free. But too many live in guilt and shame. And shame has plunged us since Adam and Eve, and we start hiding. Oh, Mark, I don't hear God. And, and so we start running to pastors and the mighty man of God. Why? Because we feel too ashamed to go to God ourselves. And so we think someone else can do it for us. And Jesus said, I've paid my price that you can go yourself. You don't need the mighty man of God. I'm having a bit of fun with that because I had some lunch with people and they told me about some scary stories. But you really don't. You've got Jesus. You've got Jesus. And he's got this gift of repentance. To just not, ah, how bad am I? That's not repentance. Repentance is realizing we're in the wrong, but repentance is turning to him again. Metanoia, to turn, to see him again, to make a decision, to worship again, to say, actually, it doesn't matter who I am, it matters who you are. And because it only matters who you are, I will walk in the freedom and the life. Why the cross? Because the guilt of my sin, the shame of it, cannot withstand just one glance of the cross. Why do I love it that people come at East and we get to preach the gospel? Because maybe just one glance of the cross will set them free from everything and every shot of the accuser in their lives. Just one glance. Just one glance of the cross of Jesus Christ and the fact that he lives saw a terrible story this week of a man named Keith Murdoch. Anyone read the story? It just caught me. Maybe we could put up a picture of this man in his prime. That's 1980, yes, his prime. This is the mustache you can see. That, that's, I mean, it's not, it's, he's older. He, he was 74 this year. Keith Murdoch passed away this week. But he has this accolade to his name. He was the only all black ever and still is the only all black ever to be sent home from a tour for his behavior. He got drunk one night when the barman wouldn't serve him again. He ended up hurting the barman at 110 kgs and six foot four. He can do that. And he thought it would blow over. He could apologize. And then the New Zealand Rugby Federation made a radical decision to send him home. And guilt and shame just set upon this man in his prime. And the plane flew and landed in Australia because then had to take a connecting flight to New Zealand. And the tragedy of it is he never got off that plane in New Zealand. He got off in Australia. And he relived the rest of his days in a foreign country in the outback of Australia, running from press and media who were fascinated by this man. One lady went so far as to writing a book called Finding Murdoch. He only played three games for the All Blacks. And yet, 
the shame and the guilt of being sent home. The only one of a proud nation made him spend the rest of his life in the outback of Australia, a spacious place. And yet the most spacious place of the outback of Australia became his tomb. The saddest thing about this man's life is not that he died this week. The saddest thing about this man's life is because he never lived because of guilt and shame. And the saddest thing is when men and women engage the love and the perfection of Jesus and they never truly live because these illegitimate voices of guilt and shame aren't received are received and taken rather than the perfection of Jesus was said, I've set you free of your guilt. I see Jesus. Not only do I set you free of your guilt and your shame and your sin, I took that on me on every stripe. I give you my righteousness. And because I give you my righteousness, I take your shame. The Bible says the shame of everything was upon him upon the cross. And he scorned at our shame. Naked. At eye level, men and women spitting at him. Why? So that I could walk free of guilt and shame. And too many remain in a tomb. The message of Easter is come out of your tomb. Come out of your tomb. Jesus is calling you by name. You too sang of it. Oh, of my shame, oh my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And John, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And Jesus asks this challenging, very, very challenging question. Do you believe? Can we close our eyes for a second? Jesus died for me. And Jesus died for you. Jesus rose again for me. Jesus rose again for you. Jesus is my victory. And Jesus is your victory too. I want to read a psalm of David, a man who knew God but had some lows in his life. He said this, he reached down, he's talking about God. He says he reached down from on high, Psalm 18, and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The message of Easter is live life now. Stop hiding in a cave and making it nice and bearable. It doesn't matter what other people think. It matters when the father looks and says, come out. Guilt and shame is just way too small for you. Guilt and shame means you don't believe. Guilt and shame means that we don't believe his blood was perfect. Guilt and shame means we don't believe that everything Jesus bore upon his body was for us. Today, Jesus is asking, do you believe? One more scripture, Romans 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the best part is he rose again. He rose again. 
today he's alive. I know he's alive because I've seen him heal. I know he's alive because I've seen him heal the most broken marriages, the most broken bodies, the most desperate situations. I've seen him do it. I know he's alive because when I have been at my weakest, he was there and he speaks. And I know he's alive because he whispers from heaven. I know he's alive because his blood keeps washing over my brokenness. And there are moments I get to preach the gospel. I'm going, God, how can I? And he says, it's not you, it's Jesus. It's got nothing to do with you. It's got everything to do with Jesus. And I'm forced back onto my knees again and reminded that Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. And though sin had left a crimson stain, he washed me white as snow. And I'm overwhelmed again by Jesus. I want to pray for you this morning. If you're a believer, you're not a believer. It doesn't matter to me right now. I want to pray for you to be washed and access the freedom from guilt and shame that is available to us in Jesus. Maybe if I could just ask all the eyes to be closed. Maybe it's a a failed marriage, a failed parenting story, a something someone did 20 years ago to you. It wasn't even your fault 50 years ago. And it's kept you, you know it's kept you in something of a tomb. You know you're in a tomb because the smell of the death rags still remain. And they remind you of the actions of the past. Jesus wants to set you free. And I want to pray for you this morning. If that's you and you're saying, actually, I need, I need this guilt and shame gone from my story. It might be big, it might be small. Why don't you put up your hands right now? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.